on Times Radio tonight. To South America, though, first, where Vosin is underway in Cuba as elections are held for the National Assembly, the highest legisl- legislative body in the country. Um, elections and communism, not two things that normally go hand in hand, are they? And Cuba's politics is, of course, complicated. There are 470 candidates running in 470 seats, with most com- uh, candidates for the Communist Party, no opposition challengers, and no campaigning. John Bonfiglio is in Latin America for us tonight and can take us into the story as it develops in Cuba. John, hello, good evening. Good evening, Daryl. Take us into this. What does democracy look like in a communist state? Well, yeah, as you say, uh, in most countries, not most countries, a lot of countries around the world, when there's an election, an election that takes place, you wonder who's going to win, what party's going to come out on top, what the legislative agenda is going to be, but that's not the case in Cuba, Cuba is, as we famously know, uh, a one-party state. No other party other than the Communist Party of Cuba is allowed legally to exist. So really what takes place today is um, uh, a question about who the legislative representatives are going to be as individuals. Uh, what uh, democracy looks like in Cuba is that prior to today's election over the course of the last few months, working groups have come together, uh, teachers groups, women's groups, unions, cooperatives, uh, and so on. And they've drafted a list of uh, candidates, of delegates, that they then put forward for election uh, today for their uh, lawmakers that are going to be in charge of devising planning laws over the next five-year period. And then they get voted in uh, to the national Assembly. It's, it is a choice, but it's not as big a choice as we expect internationally today. Right, okay. And I suppose, did you have to vote? Is it, are you legally required to vote? No, you don't have to vote. And actually, that's, a, that's an important point here, because, because it's a foregone conclusion who is going to win the Communist Party of Cuba. So we then are left looking for other indices relating to uh, the popularity of the Cuban project. So, and the main one there is absenteeism. So, historically, even though it's not compulsory for Cubans to uh, to vote, uh, turnout has been most people near universal. Most people in Cuba turn out. But over the course of the last few election cycles, in 2013, there was just a six percent abstention. 2018, 14 percent. 2022, 31 percent. And given the fact that you know, arguably Cuban communism is suffering its greatest existential crisis since the revolution, certainly since, I mean, the only other uh, equal event would have been the fall of the of the Soviet Union in, in the 90s. Given that, uh, what we're lo- left looking at is to see how many people turn out and what that tells us about the popularity of the Cuban Socialist Project. Right, okay. So what does it tell us about the popularity of the Cuban Socialist Project? Well, it's, it's, it's in a tough spot. Uh, I mean, it really is for a number of different reasons. I mean, the main one is economically. Again, Cuba probably hasn't been in this kind of a tough spot maybe ever since the revolution. I mean, you've basically got you know, a perfect storm of uh, Trump-era sanctions, uh, post-COVID supply chain issues, which, of course, are affecting you know, the whole world, inflation, which is a, an international problem, but also very Cuban problem at the moment with devaluation of its currency. It, um, inflation in Cuba this year is expected to reach 60%. But the, the, the second thing uh, really is the, the arrival of internet and connectivity and how that has fractured all systems. 
Again, that's not just Cuba specific. We see that in countries around the world. And the third one, which is easy to forget, is just the passing of time. There are now very few people that remember the 1950s, remember 1959, remember what Cuba was like, the abuses and the inequality before communism. So people don't really understand or remember the value of what the Cuban communism project brought at the time, which means that everybody, certainly huge uh, swathes of people, are looking for something else. And that all of this has led to a mass emigration crisis, uh, which we, we, we think, we estimate that uh, hundreds of thousands of Cubans have left the island in the last few months alone, which reaches up to 5% of its population. I mean, that is a devastating emigration crisis, you know, whatever country you're in, whatever the context internationally. Um, there's a couple of interesting stories, isn't there? Take us into one of them. Uh, uh, is it Elian Gonzalez? Am I saying that right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, this is a really interesting figure who we, I mean, certainly outside of Cuba, we, we won't have heard much of since the 90s, where there was this famous footage and uh, and images that came up from uh, Florida, where what had taken place was his mother had uh, left Cuba with 10 others on a, on a raft, a flimsy vessel to escape to uh, to the USA, but she and the, the 10 others died when the boat capsized. And Elian Gonzalez, five years old at the time, clung to an inner tube for two days before being picked up by the US Coast Guard. He was then taken to his family, the Cuban family in Miami. But meanwhile, back in Cuba, Fidel Castro and the boy's father were demanding his return. And this led to a, a huge, inter- not just an international incident, but an international custody battle, which threw into sharp relief the issues between these two countries, and eventually the, the, the family did not want to give him up. So federal agents, you know, hugely armed to the teeth, the image, the famous image is of federal agents you know, wearing protective armor with uh, machine guns breaking into a family home in, in, in Miami and taking the child back to, to Cuba. We fast forward now to today, 2023, 20, Elian Gonzalez is 29 years old and he is a really important, uh, vociferous, prominent, pro-revolutionary figure in Cuba who is running for this uh, National Assembly and has become one of the most important spokespeople, if you like, for uh, the current state and the current importance, as he sees it, as Cuba sees it, of the Cuban experiment. Wow, extraordinary. Blimey, what a story. Um, just very briefly, John, when do we get a, 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 a result or at least a, you know, a, a, some of the a result as we can unpick it? Yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, in terms as far of the as results, be a result, yeah. we know, you know, broadly speaking, we know what the results are going to be. But basically, by the end of uh, tonight, you know, small hours of, of the UK, we'll have a, a full list of lawmakers. In, in Latin America, um, elections tend to be automated and fairly well uh, regimented. And, and uh, although, interestingly, in Cuba, Cuba does not allow international observers, if you like, which in a way doesn't really matter because it's not as though there's anything up for for grabs particularly, but we'll certainly have a list of lawmakers in the next day or two. Okay, John, nice to talk to you tonight. Really, really interesting uh, insight into those Cuban elections. John Bonfiglio with us from Latin America. On top-